Hi, and welcome to the Seacoast Vineyard Church Podcast. We want to thank you for joining us online and remind you to feel free to visit our website at seacoastvineyard.com anytime for up-to-date information on our local church here in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. If you would like to give financially to this ministry, whether that's a one-time gift or a recurring monthly gift, simply click on the Give tab at our website and give however God leads you. Now, we want you to enjoy this message from God's Word. 2016. How many of you, oh, you don't have to raise your hands, but how many of you are glad 2015 is over? You ever been there? You ever been to that place where you were like, I just wish this, you know, I could get to the next year? There was like, if I can just see the calendar switch over, maybe there's going to be a difference in the next year. And uh, put this one behind me. I had a year like that in 97 where I was just like, just come on, one more calendar, just let it flip over, and then the next one, maybe another one, and, and then you start feeling this momentum begin to build. And, you know, what we lose is we lose hope. We just, we think that things are going to stay the same, that if we've suffered some pushback or letdown, we've suffered something that uh, maybe we've lost something, we feel like, you know, it's not going to, we're never going to get that back, or we're never going to have that feeling again, or, or that place in life where we were happy before and so with each new year it's another opportunity and maybe some motivation comes back momentum comes back to our lives so I do think there is something very special about the beginning of a new year I know in the old testament many times they would pile rocks up whenever something would happen so that the kids later on maybe even hundreds of years later if they were traversing that same area and they would come across this these rocks that were piled up they would ask their parents or the grandparents, and they would say, what, are, what is this about? And they would say, well, your great, 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 great grandparents, they had, they had a confrontation with God here back 200 years ago. And this is what God did in their life. And they would know, hear the stories, and then they would press on into their own journeys. And then they would pile their own rocks up for memorials and for memories of things that God had done in their life. And so each year is kind of supposed to build on the next year. And... Uh, it's easy. It's easy to get lost in a bad year. It's easy to think that uh, a tough year is going to be every year like that. So here's what I want to do to start 2016. Um, I want to pray for any of us that have had a bad year. Before we jump into this series on faith, uh, daring faith, I want to pray for us. So if you're there, uh, you're in the right room. There's not a single person probably in here who hasn't had a year like that or isn't maybe having a year or has a year like that. And so, uh, Father, I ask for you to come now to our church and to the folks sitting here right now. And I pray that the fog of pain, of loss, of, of maybe being disoriented even, coming out of 2015, I pray the fog would begin to clear, Lord, that you would breathe your fresh life, breathe your presence, God, and bring clarity. And with that clarity, hope, an expectation of good to come in 2016. Lord, no, I I know that we just don't drop it and we change immediately. I know that. But Lord, I know when you come alongside us, in a new season, that things can be different. And that's what I pray for us, is that you come along beside those who have suffered loss or pain or are going through some situation right now, and that they would know right now that you are with them. You are I am. You are there. 
Kyrie, you are there, Lord. You're with them. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We forget many times uh, how the whole journey of humanity started. And I want to read a little bit from uh, Genesis to you. Uh, We're doing like a prep series for our six-week series called Daring Faith. And uh, when I was thinking and, and praying about all of this, I was like, what was our attention in the first place? Why did, how did all of this begin for us? And so, you know, you go back to Genesis and you read. And I read like in verse 27, Genesis 1, 27. It says, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Three times created, created, created. You know, that's, here's, the, here's the deal for us. This was all God's idea. This was God's idea. I mean, to live, for you to be alive, for you to be here now, you are God's creation. You were God's idea. And, uh, I mean, for, to, to realize that when things are tough, to go, go this is not some anomaly. <laughs> you know, I'm not, I'm not like a blip on the screen that was here and gone suddenly. No, it's, it's like this was God's plan from the very beginning. His creation. You were a part of the plan. And no matter what is going on in your life at this point, no matter how maybe uh, inconsequential or, uh, you know, you've been somewhat uh, pushed to the side maybe in your life, you feel like you have no main purpose or, or reason, uh, believe me, that was not the initial plan. And it's still not the plan. You were created. You were God's idea. I know you've got a fill-in. This is not in your fill-in, but if you want to take out the handout that you have, you should have a pen, and the fill-in is in there. But, but hold on to this, okay? And it might be good for you to journal through 2016 and write some of these things down. And write down that you know, God created this world. Now, I know things get messed up between Genesis 1 and we get on over to Genesis 3, but we, have, you know, we need to realize that in the beginning... God had a wonderful plan, and you were a part of it. He created you. So you were God's plan. And just look at the next verse, verse 28 in Genesis 1. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. I mean, bless them He tells them to be fruitful. He tells them to increase, to fill the earth, to subdue the earth, uh, the sky over everything. Listen, not only were you God's idea, but you were blessed by God to fulfill a mission. God put you here with a purpose to fulfill a mission. And it's easy to forget that. And it can get gobbled up sometimes in life. God's original plan for his creation was that you have a mission here. Subdue it. Your world. He blessed us to do that. He blessed us to be on point, to be on mission. And then look at 29 and 30. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant. And it was so. So you're God's creation. You're his intention. He puts you on mission. He calls you to a call. And then he gives you provision for the mission. 
as well. He doesn't just leave you here and he doesn't just say go, but he says, I'm going to give you provision. I'm going to give you what you need to accomplish what I've called you to. And I know again that some of us are in families and some of us are in business situations and relational situations where we feel like we don't have what it takes in order to fulfill the mission that we've been called to. And so I, in, in my journaling, I, my journal is right over in that bag. I write things like this down and I write, wait a minute, no matter what a deficit I may be feeling at this moment, I know what I was called to. I know, God, and this is not particular calling. This is a whole calling for all of us, and that is that I'm your creation. The time that I'm living and where I am is your sole choice. Plus, I know you have called me to a mission, and the people that I am with, the place that I am at is a part of that mission. And as lost and as helpless as I may feel of not being up to the, up to the task, I know you have made provision. It's here. I may have to run through the jungles here and try to find it hanging from a tree. But that fruit is out there. Those tools are out there to be made, to be discovered. They're there. You would not call me into mission without making provision. There's no way, God, you don't do that. And so that's part of an adventure. It's no adventure if everything's laid at your feet. <laughs> the adventure is discovering it all. And sometimes there's a lot of stumbling and pushing through, right, to try to find exactly what you need in order to accomplish it. So you were created by God. You're God's idea. You were blessed by God to fulfill a mission, and you've been given provision for the mission. And look at the verse 31. And God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. It was very good. What you have been called to, the part that you've been called to play in this mission of faith on the, on the earth, your life is a very good thing. It's not irrelevant. It's not inconsequential. It's a very good thing, an important part that you play. And I really do like where he says, and there was evening and there was morning. That's kind of like the capstone to it all. Like, okay, this is what I want for my creation. Here it is. This is it. And so you were meant to be a part of something good. All of this, because we can feel like we get stuck in this rat, you know, this cage of going around and around, and I'm never getting out of this. I can never step out of this. I don't find, I don't know how I'm going to escape this. I don't know how I'm going to be any different this time next year. And God says, wait a minute, look back to the way it was. And I know, that, uh, I know that when it all started, it was all good, and then it got screwed up. And then Jesus came along and said, you know what? I'm going to fix you up and start fixing you up so you can get back to your original quest to do what you were always called to do. And so we're going to be moving in two weeks. We're going to take two Sundays to prepare for this, uh, this series of Daring Faith. Uh, this Sunday and next Sunday, and then we're going to jump in. There are small groups. I think there's 20 so far that have formed. I'd love to see 40 small groups formed. If you want to uh, form a small group, you can talk to Pastor Rick about it. Uh, I've already worked through my book on the small. This is the, the book that goes along with the series that will start in two weeks. We have DVDs that work through the series as well. You can pick those up and start your own group. And, uh, and for six weeks, we're going to trudge through this, and we're going to make our way like in the jungle, and we're going to find our purpose, and uh, we're going to step out in daring faith in 2016. I have some high expectations for myself and for this church in 2016. 
some things that I feel like uh, that we've never experienced before. And I feel like maybe in your life, you're wanting that as well. And so we begin the adventure in 2016 with this, with daring faith. Now, here's our scripture this morning. Our, our main scripture this morning is Colossians 2.7. Paul writes to this church in Colossae. He says, let your roots grow down into him. And draw up nourishment from him so that you will grow in faith, strong and vigorous. So that you will grow in faith. We sink ourselves down into the foundation of Christ, into God, so that our faith will grow. And it will be strong and it will be a vigorous faith. Not just sustaining, but vigorous meaning we take on what God has called us to take on. That is our mission. On faith, people throw faith around a lot. Here's a definition from the Bible, Hebrews 11.1. that says that faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. That is, it's the substance, the building material, right? I'm going to come to these scriptures in just a second. But uh, it's the building material of faith, the substance of things hoped for. Like, I want this. So faith in something is my wanting, my hopeful expectation is the building material, the momentum of it. And it is the evidence of what is not seen. And that means that my initiative, my belief in that God is doing something and calling me to this, and the fact that I step into it is proof that it's supposed to be. And so I step into it before I've ever seen it. I have initiative. I have courage for it and that is faith because faith is faith is seen in how we approach things how we believe things how we step into things once we have it once we've seen it then it doesn't take the faith anymore does it? it's like you don't realize but you had faith in this chair when you sat down this morning you know i mean because you didn't know if somebody had sawed the legs off and they were about to fall you know, but you had faith in it now that you're sitting in it you have a lot of faith you're like this works you know and so faith means every day you step out of your door and you go into the world and you expect to do something. Work on your job. You expect to accomplish something. That is a faith act. And so it is with the kingdom of God. And so it is with our life in Christ in every area that he's called us. Faith is the substance, the building material that we're going to use. And it's the evidence, the fact that we are moving toward it. It's the evidence that we've been called to it. And, uh, and so faith... Hebrews 11, 6, five more verses down, says, Without faith, it is impossible to please God. I mean, what do you say? God wants us, to, wants us to step out, to believe that he has called us to something that we haven't attained yet, that we don't have yet. Romans 14, 23, anything that is not done in faith is sin. It's trusting him. If we don't trust him, it's sin. Anything we step out into that is not faith is sin. In Matthew 9, 29, Jesus said, According to your faith, will it be done to you? That's challenging, right? Because some of us are facing some places where we think, I could have all the faith in the world. It's not going to change anything. But do you know that? Do you know that? Do you have the tools? Has God given you faith and calling you to faith to step in? And that's a part of that substance to step into that issue to see it happen. And so, uh, you know, you were called for a grand adventure. So why a series on daring faith? Um, Here's your next fill-in. Your first one is this. 
Why? To advance our spiritual maturity. That's your first fill-in. To advance our spiritual maturity. James 1, 3 through 4 says, Because you know, and all of these scriptures are in your handout, by the way. James 1, 3 through 4. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete Not lacking anything. Perseverance. Finish its work so that you may mature and complete. Not lacking anything. I, uh, baby boomers are not known for wanting to grow up. You know, we're like, we're like the eternal, the eternal kids. We're always trying to find another adventure, even though our bodies are telling you you've had one too many. And, uh, But we're still looking for it. You know, that's part of, that, part of the daring faith too. But you know what I do want? I do want to grow up in my faith. I want to mature in my faith. I don't want to be knocked around by every little storm or even big storm that comes along in my trust of God. That's how you can tell how strong you are in your faith. Because if things come along and knock you off center and then you begin to suddenly, you let go of your faith and you go off and you just like, I've had it with God. That's it. That means that our roots, as we read in Colossians, are not sunken deep down into him. It doesn't mean we don't question. It doesn't mean we don't like it. But it means this, that as our faith matures, we begin to trust him in the midst of all of that. And some of you that have been walking with God for a while, you know that because you've experienced it. You've suffered loss in your life and you've hurt. and You've had deep pain, but at the same time you have drawn close to God and you know what it is to have God there in the midst of that loss. In the midst of realizing that life is going to be different from this point on. That's the spiritual maturity. To trust God. That is the substance, the tools, the the fabric, the two-by-fours that we're going to build with and the things that can't be seen because things have not changed, but I'm going to live different than it appears that I should. I'm going to trust God in this now and draw close to Him. And there we see faith. And that faith pleases God and it does wonders for us because we have our eyes on something other than the moment. That's that pile of rocks that Israel would pile up in the, in the Old Testament. They had their eyes on a city, on a place far beyond that they knew they were on their journey to. And so at any moment it could be disrupted, but the journey was always headed that way. And being growing up in our spiritual maturity is realizing that. I want that. You know, I want to grow up. I want to be, a, a, you know, more mature is that right? Mature? We were, we're debating maturer and mature and all the ERs and, and more words the other night. And, uh, but I want to grow up where each blast of cold air that hits my life, I end up closer to God than I was before. That I end up trusting him even more than I did before. That I end up seeing the end clearer than I did before that blast of cold air hit my life. And um, blast of cold air is going to come. And when it comes, will God find faith on the earth? That's the question. So I want to grow up. How about you? Do you want to grow up in that? Do you want to sink your roots down deeper and deeper uh, so that you can, you know, you can have that life? I don't want just a, you know, um, only a great meeting. I, I want this church to live with great meaning. 
Not just a great meeting on Sunday, but to live with great meaning in whatever comes into our life. And faith, how we, how we actualize faith, faith, how we live it out, how we approach it, makes all the difference in the world. And of course, it is faith in God. It's faith in His calling. Like I went back to Genesis and shared with you, it's that faith in knowing that He has a good life for us and He has a good calling even in the midst of storms. So I want to grow up. Um, I wrote out a vision uh, list when we started this church 18 years ago. And one of the things on the top of the, top of the list that I wanted for us uh, before we ever had our first Sunday meeting was I want a church that can take the full force of loss in life and still love Jesus. That's the church I want. I want a church that can do that. And that is a mature church. That is a church that loves God above all else. And that's still part of my, part of my uh, wish and plan for us is that we all, all of us, that's a maturing process. We can't do that here necessarily on Sunday mornings, but we can do it in our small groups. We can pray with one another. We can be with one another. We can talk these things out with each other, and we can grow up. Marriages, challenges, and faith. You know what? I, Karen and I have been married. We don't have a perfect marriage, you know, but 44 years, 44 and a half years now. And what we found a lot of times is right at those points in life where you get shaken, right where you're going, oh, what's going to happen here is right where the roots need to go deep. Right at that time, right when the shaking begins to shake and you start wondering what's going to happen here if two, if two people decide we're going to sink the roots of our faith deep into Jesus Christ. And we're going to say, God, what are you up to here? You, you will grow by leaps and bounds. In your faith journey. Now things may not change immediately. But they will change. They will change. And they will change for the good. But it's at that moment of the testing. At that moment when the winds come. When the roots need to go down deeper. And it's also when you'll find out how deep your roots are. Right? When the wind comes along you'll find out. But the good news is that God will say to you. Sing them on down. You know if you like a limb flies off here. And you're like woo. There goes, you know, half my trunk. You know, it's like God's going, it's cool, it's cool. Come on, sink them, sink them on down. I'm here with you. I'm here with you. Sink it down into me. I am with you. Remember, I called you. You're good. You're a good creation. I called you to mission. Part of that mission is the relationships you have. Every one of us, that is a part of God's mission to us. And he's given us provision for the mission. So what is the provision? Maybe you have to look around a little bit. Maybe I've got to search for the tools. I've got to have faith that I can find them. But if two people decide they're going to sink them down and they're going to work it, let me tell you something. You can come out of it. I promise you, you can come out of it the better than you went into it. Stronger than ever. And it's there. And I want that for my marriage. I want that for your relationships. I want that if you're a single person, you have to bear so much alone. And uh, some of you are single parents and you have to take on so much alone. And you feel like you're the only one that probably cares for your kids. And maybe you're even right. Maybe nobody does care like you care. And you're all along. Well, I want your roots to go so deep in faith and your trust level with God that he knows about your situation and he has given you provision. I want you to realize that and to man, actualize it. Put it into, into action where your life is fun and where you realize I'm called to mission and I'm fulfilling it. And I believe God has that for us. I do. In your profession, um, 
So many of us just go to work every day and every day. And, and, and but what each day, what would God want to do in your life at work that day? Is there a mission at work? Is there some experience at work that day that God has placed you right in the right point, right in the right position and location in order to fulfill something, part of his mission for your life? Could it be a word? You don't know how, being a pastor, I get these testimonies all the time, but I get testimonies from people who go, someone just said this to me when I was at the, the lowest point of my life, and it changed the whole day. One word at that moment. And you probably went to work, the person did going, oh man, I got to go to work again. And then they were at work and somebody said something and you responded in some beautiful way or some faith fashion and suddenly they went, it clicked them and it brought them out of the fog and they felt like they could go another day. You just don't know. This is a mission, a journey every single day. I want to grow up where I live life like that. Did I expect that in life? And that life is not just some boring, you know, whatever. But God has us on this mission Uh, Let your roots grow down into him and draw up nourishment from him so that we will grow in faith strong and vigorous. We want to grow up spiritually mature. And secondly, we want to enhance our relational unity. Enhance our relational unity. Over in the book of Acts, uh, we read this in the fourth chapter. The church has just started cranking up. They're gathering together. And we read, all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all. I love that phrase. God's grace was powerfully at work in them all. uh, That there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, he goes on and say how God made provision in the early church. But my point to this is that as we grow in our faith uh, to believe God for what God has called us to personally, individually, as well as corporately, well as a family and all, that we, all of a sudden, this relational unity begins to develop, not just in the church, but also in our families, with our friends, on the job. Suddenly, there's a relational unity that has this power about it, this expectation of good about it. And uh, you cannot work together and step out in faith and not build your relationship with someone. You just can't do it. You can't serve here at the church like so many of you guys do. Hospitality, you get here early on Sundays and you serve. And after a few months of seeing one another, talking with one another, praying with one another, suddenly you build this relational unity and you got their back and they've got your back and and you do the same thing in your friendships or in your families is as as you work together and as you step out in mission together relationship is formed and a unity comes that God says he will bless we have really been blessed in this church with relational unity but I want more of it we've 18 years we've never had a church split anything like that We've worked together, we push together, we do things together, but I don't think we have touched that much of what God has for us as far as what we can do in our community along the Grand Strand and even you know, outside of our, our city or our county. I believe God wants to do mighty things through us, and it will take relationships to do that. 
It's not going to be long rangers. It's not going to be individuals. It's going to be teams of people who have such a unity that there's this power about them. I mean, that's attractive, isn't it? To walk into a group of people who receive you and at the same time you know they've received one another. I mean, you walk into a room and everybody seems to get along. Everybody seems to be. It doesn't mean they're, they don't have differences, but they got each other's back. They agree. They're on mission together. Let's get this done. And it has this dynamic to it that is it's just, it's attractive. It's attractive. I want to be a part of it. And that's one of the things in the vineyard that I liked. When I met the leaders and the national leaders and the regional leaders and I saw how they related to one another and I didn't see some of the nitpicking and the, you know, all this jockeying for position and stuff that I'd seen in the past. When I saw this, I was like, I want to be a part of this group. Look at them. They love Jesus. They just, all they're talking about is let's get this done for Jesus. Let's do this thing. You know, let's go. What do you think? What do you think? What do you think? Let's put it together. Let's work together. And there was that relational unity it was just refreshing. And after all these years, after 18, 18 and a half years, it's still there. When I'm still with those, those folks, you know, I feel it. I feel this, like, let's go. We can do this thing together, this teamwork. And, you know, God has you where you are. I don't think anybody's sitting in here by happenstance. I really don't. I don't think you're at this church just because, eh, you know, just stop by the vineyard, hang out for a while. Maybe God put you here. Because it was a good thing that he created you. And he called you the mission. And he's given you provision. And now he's put you with other people who want to do the same thing. They just want to get on in life for God. And he put you in here to be a part of it. Relational unity is a beautiful thing. A beautiful thing that I want to see come out of this this series on daring faith. As we step into some things, it's going to take us working together. Uh, uh, you know, you think about some of the things we've done. We, we, we did so much last year. Um, we got a lot accomplished. And uh, you know, I want to see so much more done as well. We can do incredible things together. We can certainly do a lot more together than we ever could alone. We're so much better together. We're so much better together. And uh, dare I say it, that when we remove ourselves from a position of relating with others, then we immediately hit the off switch almost, it seems like, for what God has called us to. I mean, that's in every area of life. It's not good for man to be alone. Remember that? Where that came from? Out of the same part of Scripture we were reading, right? What did God have at the time? I mean, what did man have at the time when God said that? He had a perfect, in my opinion, a beautiful tropical setting with great waves, and, uh, you know, it was beautiful, bananas and mangoes and papaya hanging on the trees, oranges, lemons and limes. It was a beautiful place. He called man to, he put him in the garden. He said, take care of it, right? And then God says, it's not good for man to be alone. Well, who did, what did man have at that time? He had a beautiful setting, and he had God. He had God. God says it's not good for man to be right by himself. He needs another human being with him. And so he made female, Adam and Eve, he made them. Male and female, he made them and put them in the garden to take care of it. It's not good for us to be alone. We weren't meant to be the sole, you know, one out doing things. We were meant to do things together. And that includes in the kingdom here. We can do great things together in the kingdom.
Um, just, uh, just this past week, I heard, um, well, last Sunday before last, someone came up to me and said, I don't feel like Christmas is over. I feel like I still need to give. Well, every pastor loves to hear that, right? And uh, so I feel like I still have more to give. And he says, do you know any families or you need any situations where someone could benefit? And so I passed, I kind of passed them on to someone that, that might know and, 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 you know, let it go. And then I hear back that that person happened to step into a situation through another person, through another person that met, met an enormous need. And if we had not been a team like that, where one could talk to the other, one supplied, right, part of the mission material, to another who knew what the mission was and what was needed, then we would have never met the need there. That's the beauty of relational unity. Because there's all kind of like telegraphs going on in here, people with needs and people who have influence in this area and that area, and together we can, we can do so much good. You know, in our church and also in our community, together, we can do it. We can do it. Um, don't you want to hear... At the end of the year, somebody go about like our international cafe, someone to go, man, we touched 300 students this, this summer. Wouldn't that be awesome? Yeah, we already done that. Yeah, we already did that. Matter of fact, we touched 1,000 this past summer. So this summer, wouldn't it be cool to say, to hear, man, we touched 3,000 international students this summer. I mean, you know what? I'm not going to do that. You're not going to do that, but we can do that. That relational unity that we build together as a church and as a community, there is no telling how many thousands and tens of thousands of people we can touch together. Linus is in Brazil. He's training leaders. Doug's going to India to train leaders. Linus needs $5,000 to have the leadership materials. Doug needs resources. Together, we can raise up pastors and leaders in India and in Brazil and in Africa where we're working, and we can make a difference together, together. No one of us can probably do that, but together we can make a huge difference. And in the midst of that, we get to see the grace of God as that passage in Acts says. We get to experience that. Your last feeling is this. We advance our spiritual maturity. We enhance our relational unity. And the last one is, uh, through the daring faith, to finance our missional ministry. And that goes right back to what I was just saying, to finance our missional ministry. Ministry. Any church that grows in faith grows in giving. It does. It just does. Because generosity is a part of faith. As you grow in your calling, as you grow in your ability to be able to be generous with your gifts and generous with your time with others, it affects every part of your life. And pretty soon you're like the person that came to me two weeks ago and says, I want to give more. Where's a family? Do you know a family? You know, a family doesn't have Christmas. Just tell me. And suddenly that generosity bubbles up in our giving as well. And so missional by missional, I go back to Genesis again and go, we are on mission. We weren't just dropped in, you know, like some of these movies, you know how they drop people onto this planet. You ever seen these movies where you drop you down in a cage or something, drop you on a planet, and then you have to survive, right? Like, okay, just, just make it through your... 70, 80, 90 years, right? Just survive. Some of us feel like that's life. That's not life for us as followers of Jesus. 
Our life of faith is to come and to live and to do what God has called us to do to complete the mission. And part of that is going to be we need the finances to do it. And so as we grow in our faith, the finances will come. I'll believe it. Last year, you guys blew it out of the water. You absolutely blew it out of the water. You met the needs. You paid the bills. We did what we needed to do. And this year is going to be no difference. We're going to step it right on up because that's what we're going to need to fulfill the calling and the ministry. And uh, look at this scripture, Corinthians 8, 7. Since you already excel in so many ways, you have so much faith, such gifted teaching, so much knowledge, so much enthusiasm, and so much love. Now I want you to grow and excel in the ministry of generous giving. And 2 Corinthians 10, 15, in the message version, says this. What we're hoping for is that as your lives grow in faith, you'll play a greater part within our expanding work. As our faith grows, so does our support of other ministries and other outreaches and and feeding people, GEDs. They're moving this building, I guess, somewhere, but there will always be people that need GEDs that can't even afford the $120 to get their GED. And uh, there's always going to be a need for food for people. There's going to be a need for training other leaders. There's so much to do, and we are called to it. And as we become more of a generous people in 2016, it will affect every area of our life. Our time, our affections, our finances, all of it. So I'm expecting a lot from this series. And uh, next week I'm going to tell you three things you can expect from walking through this series. Three things that I believe are going to happen for us as we go through the six-week series. When Jesus rose from the dead, I mentioned Genesis when I started the series, uh, started the sermon this morning. When Jesus uh, rose from the dead, Mary Magdalene was there at the tomb. And the angels told her he wasn't there. And so when she turns, Jesus is standing outside the tomb. And she is shocked all of a sudden. She doesn't recognize him. And it goes, she thought he was the gardener. I absolutely love that because with Jesus' resurrection, we have in a way been transported right back to the garden, right back to the mission, right back to our calling, right back to provision for the mission, and right back to being a good creation in Christ. Through Christ, the gardener has come once again to lead his church and to make a difference on the earth. Let's pray. We hope you enjoyed this week's podcast from Seacoast Vineyard Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. We look forward to you joining us next time on iTunes or at our website, www.seacoastvineyard.com.